Well, good morning. It's good to see you, South Campus, to our North Campus, our online family. It's great to be with you as we gather to really do one thing. We want to take our next step with Jesus. Somebody say next step. You want to know what the Christian life is? The Christian life is simply one step at another, staying in step with everything Jesus is doing. So it's a joy to be with you. And I want to reiterate what you just heard. Tonight will be incredible. Stacey Campbell has a very mature prophetic gift. There will be prophetic ministry going on. Um, it's going to be incredible. If that kind of weirds you out a little bit, it's like, man, I'm not sure what that is. Come, come and observe. Come and see what's going on because um, the Lord works in various powerful ways among us. One of the ways he wants to encourage us is through prophetic gifting. He actually wants to impart that, I believe, so we encourage each other. So I hope you'll be here tonight. Last week, I had the privilege of being in a church in the Miami, Florida area called History Makers Church. You need to go online and look these guys up. It's incredible. You see, what has transpired is a couple of years ago, our elders felt like the Lord said it's time to expand some of the ways that he wants to use us to have influence. Um, and one of the things he told us, he told us six major things we were supposed to do. In addition to everything else we were doing, six things, you can go online, you can read them. They're called our 2030 vision. But one of those things is we want to start, help start five churches, especially in areas where there's not many churches, where there's an abundance of people, not many churches that can help bring people to Jesus Christ. So we've joined six other churches around our nation to start History Makers Church. And I am telling you, we are part of something incredible. Um, I did discover something, though. Um, I did not know how white we were until I went to History Makers Church. And what I love about them, because it was mainly Hispanic and black, they talked back to me. Like, you guys are like really quiet. You don't even know if you're supposed to chuckle at something. Like, don't make me say anything. Don't make me participate. They were dancing. They were talking. There was all sorts of accents everywhere. And I got to get up and say, hey, I just another accent that's here, but not anyone else has an accent like this here at History Makers Church. We had an incredible time. But here's what's amazing. They started eight months ago. They already have between 325 and 350 people in attendance. They had 39 people in the last two weeks except Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior in that. Come on, we get to be a part of that. Somebody give praise to the Lord for that. Guys, it is incredible what we want to get to be a part of, and I want to tell you just thank you. Thank you, Beltway Park, for your heart, because um, there is a heart in this place that's not just for us. There is a heart for our region. That's why we do Walk to Bethlehem, why so many people will sign up to serve and be part of Walk to Bethlehem just to share the message of Jesus with people. That we'll use our finances to do things in our region like boots on the ground and our auto ministry, but we'll also send our money to other parts of the United States, other places around the world, just say we need to see our world know the reality of Jesus Christ. Amen? So thank you guys so much for being a part of that. I have a question for us this morning. It's a simple question that everyone can participate in. So I need all of you to play. It's real simple. When it comes to the Christmas holiday and the celebrating the Christmas holiday, are you a person who starts well before Thanksgiving? Meaning you like already have some of your decorations up, you've been playing Christmas music for a while, maybe a little bit secretly because you don't want people to know that kind of stuff. You're doing that. Or... Are you a person who thinks it's a dishonor to the Thanksgiving holiday to start anything about Christmas till after Thanksgiving? So I'm going to show you how this works. If you are a pre-Thanksgiving celebrator of Christmas, I just want you to own it and put your hands up right now. Come on, there you go right now. You see it? If you are a 
Honor Thanksgiving at all costs. Have to start after Thanksgiving. That's when things go. Put your hands up right now. Yeah, see? The polarization of America has nothing to do with Republican or Democrat. It is all about how to celebrate Christmas, right? Guys, I'm going to confess, I am a post-Thanksgiving person. My wife, a pre-Thanksgiving person. She says I have the privilege of being a post-Thanksgiving Christmas person because I don't do a lot to help us in the celebration of Christmas. And if you were planning, doing all the work and stuff like that, you would start earlier. I don't know if that's true, but she would be correct in terms of the kind of the layout of responsibilities there. It was brought to my attention the other day that a sequel to maybe the best Christmas movie ever um, is coming out. It's, the movie is a Christmas story. You know, the Red Rider BB gun movie. Listen to me. I'm just going to state for the record, A Christmas Story is the best non-biblical Christmas movie ever put out. Okay, and before you begin to doubt me, before you um, start questioning my assessment, just ask yourself a question. What other movie is on two major cable networks for 24 hours a day once a year? You realize for 25 years, a quarter of a century, TNT has been playing a Christmas story, starting on Christmas Eve, going into Christmas Day, solid for a 24-hour period. TPS has been doing that for 18 years running. Now think about it. These networks are all about one thing. They need advertisers to pay the bill. If they did not have the ratings so that the advertisers would buy the spots on these shows, they would not do it, yet they've been doing it for 25 years, and then they added another network, seven years into that, for 18 years running. Hear me, best Christmas movie ever, non-biblical, best one ever, deal with it, okay? There is a sequel coming, and I was kind of excited about the sequel. I know sequels are disappointing. My expectations are low, but I was okay with it, but then I saw the date that it's being released, November 17th, a week before Thanksgiving, and my heart was offended. (laughs) I couldn't believe it, because I was thinking, man, you don't drop a Christmas movie before Thanksgiving. Christmas starts the day after Thanksgiving, and all the post-Thanksgiving people said, Amen. I get it. Now, here's the reason I say that. If you're a post-Thanksgiving person um, like I am, you might be tempted to think with this sermon series that Beltway Park has fallen prey to the cultural Christmas creep that seems to be happening, and we seem to be starting celebrating Christmas earlier and earlier. I have to say, if only for myself, this is not a Christmas series, okay? Now, I will confess that we are going to mention the idea of Christmas, but it's not a Christmas series. So in some ways, everything we talk about in this room any time of the year is connected to Christmas. But we'll talk about that next month during Christmas, right? See, I think we have a common thought about Christmas that sets us up to miss something huge in the Bible. See, if you ask most people, what is Christmas? I mean, the real Christmas really about that. say, well, God was born as a baby. That is when Jesus began doing what Jesus does. See, we act as if Christmas, that first Christmas was when Jesus all of a sudden showed up on the scene and started doing the things that he does. I need you to hear me and hear me well. What we celebrate at Christmas, or at least what we should celebrate, is grand beyond what our minds can imagine. If we'll just take some time to meditate, it will blow our minds. But it is in no way the beginning of what Jesus has done. 
Christmas and Easter are the apex. They are the climax of where we see the grandness of the Father's heart. But before Christmas ever occurred, in those books called the Old Testament, all those books, whether they are the historic books like Genesis and even Leviticus, or if they're the prophetic books like Malachi or Daniel or something like that, Jesus was there. Jesus was doing what Jesus has always done. You don't want to miss Jesus anywhere he is. And I want to show you probably the clearest example in all the Bible. You ready? I want you to get your Bible and turn to Exodus, the third chapter. Exodus chapter three. Now, most of you right now are not going to get a Bible out. And you're going to say, I don't need to get a Bible out. You're going to throw it up on the screen. And that is true. But there is going to be something I show you that is not going to show up on the screen. The way we do our notes on the screen, it's not going to show up the way you need. So for today, I would encourage you to get a Bible. There's a black one underneath the chair in front of you or in the risers at both our physical campuses. There's a black color Bible. You can turn to page 46 in that Bible. Exodus chapter 3. Verse 1 says, now Moses, somebody say Moses. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, most of us, no matter where we are in our spiritual journey, we've at least heard of Moses. There have been more major movies made about Moses than any other biblical character, including Jesus, by the way. And when we hear the name Moses, we automatically think of this man of grand power. He's the one that shows up to Pharaoh and throws down the 10 plagues. Once the children of Israel leave Egypt, he's the one that parts the waters of the Red Sea. In the desert, man, we have water coming from a rock. We got manna coming down every day and then quail coming down every day. He was a man of power. This dude doesn't seem like the same dude, does he? I mean, think about it. He is not only keeping sheep, he is keeping someone else's sheep. This guy doesn't even own his own flock of sheep at this point. He is 80 years old, and at this juncture of his life, he's actually doing the job of a boy. I know that because I read forward in the Bible, and there was a guy named David who is going to become king of Israel, and he was anointed king of Israel when he was watching his father's sheep when he was a child, 12, 13 years old in life. Moses, this great man of God at this juncture of life, is doing a boy's job. Why? He screwed up. And he made the assumption that many of us make when we mess up. Moses, and I think many of us, we think that when we screw up in life, that God somehow is done with us. That God is finished with us. You see, through a series of events, you're going to have to read about it on your own in Exodus 1 and 2. What we find out is Moses was born into a Jewish family, but he ends up being adopted into the household of Pharaoh. So Moses grew up the first four decades of his life, 40 years, as part of Egyptian royalty. Then at age 40, God began to stir something. He had a stirring about his biological people. He wanted to see them freed from the oppression of his father of his grandfather, of the leaders of Egypt. He goes and he begins to observe some things about the Jewish people, and he notices that there is an Egyptian taskmaster who is beating a Hebrew, a Jewish slave. And he goes in to intervene and to do something about it, and there ends up being a scuffle, and he ends up killing the Egyptian taskmaster. 
Moses thinks that the Jewish people will see him as the deliverer he intends to be, but they don't see him that way. And all of a sudden, Moses is messed up in a big way. He actually has to flee as a fugitive away from Egypt. He had the stirring, catch it, to do God's will, but he didn't do God's will in God's way. He took matters into his own hands, and as a result, he ends up being a fugitive, and he spends the next four decades of his life doing what? Watching his father-in-law's sheep. And then he meets Jesus. Verse two. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burned, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said in verse three, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why is the burn of the bush not burned? Now, I know you're thinking, you're looking right now at verse two, and you say, Pastor, back the truck up here on this one. The text doesn't say he met with Jesus. It says he met with an angel. Hear me. Sometimes an angel in the Old Testament isn't just an angel. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying that's the case in every circumstance. We have to let context decide in that. The scripture, I need you to know, is very clear. Angels are very real. They are created beings, and what we know from scripture is they actually do two things. They minister before God, and believe it or not, they minister to God's children. The scripture says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation, those who are children of God? Now, I know you're thinking, David, how do they do this? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how the angels minister to us. They just do. But here's what I do know. The Father's heart is so grand. The Father's heart is so great for you that he has assigned another facet of creation, the angelic beings, to battle for you and I in the spiritual realm. Come on, is that not incredible? With that in mind, I need to tell you something because of what's happening in our culture today. The scripture is clear that we aren't to seek after angels. We aren't to pursue angels. We're definitely not supposed to worship angels. In the book of Revelation, last chapter of the Bible, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, all the visions in Revelation. And when I'd heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the, the angel who had been showing them to me. Notice what the angel says. He says, don't do that. He don't want to have anything to do with it. I am your fellow servant with you and with your brothers and the prophets and everyone who's going to heed the words of this book. And then he's very clear. Worship God. Listen to me. Because angels are supernatural beings, there's actually a movement that's happening in our society right now where people are seeking, pursuing, and worshiping angels. And I'm going to tell you something that might wig you out a little bit. I am absolutely confident people are having supernatural encounters when they do that. They're having very real experiences, but it's not with who they think they are. It's a tool of deception of the enemy. Satan himself, the scripture says, masquerades as an angel of light. There are people who are pursuing angels of light, and they are encountering Satan in their life. Hear me. The enemy is meeting people, and he's deceiving them greatly in this world of New Age mysticism. I want you to hear me as your pastor. Don't play in this world. Don't mess in this world. Don't interact in this world. It is not worth it. The Scripture says us to flee from th such things. So here's what you can do. When it comes to angels, you can be grateful. You can say, thank you, Father, for your heart for us, that you have these beings that are battling for us, and someday when I'm in heaven, I'm gonna understand exactly how all that happens. But we seek, listen to me, we pray to, we pursue, we run after Jesus and Jesus only, amen? 
Amen. So back to Moses. You're asking the question, how do I know that this angel isn't simply a normal angel? Well, I kept reading the text. Verse 4. When the Lord, and notice when it says the Lord, look at verse 4. This is why you have your Bible open. When it says the Lord in verse 4, notice it's in all caps. See, we do our notes up here in all caps, so it's kind of hard to show all caps when it's all caps, right? See, some of you are going, I didn't open my Bible. You should have. I told you to. Anyway, the Lord is in all caps. That means something to you and I. I'm going to tell you in a minute. When the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here am I. So in verse 2, you go back, you see the angel of the Lord is the one that appeared. But in verse 4, it is the Lord in all caps. It is God who is doing it. Verse 5 seals the deal. Then God said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And so there's a call right here for Moses to Worship. An angel would never call us to worship if he's an angel of God. In the Old Testament, catch this, when it mentions the angel of the Lord, say the, when it mentions the angel of the Lord, it is most often Jesus doing what Jesus does. It is what theologians call a Christophany, an appearance of the Christ before he became incarnate. And you may be thinking, okay, that's cool Bible knowledge and all, Pastor. Well, why does it matter? It matters because there's passages throughout the Old Testament that tell us the reality of what Jesus wants to do in our lives, the way he wants to work in our lives. That which he did on the cross by coming at Christmas, by dying and overcoming death, hell, and the grave at Easter, all these things are talked about in the Old Testament, and we often miss it. The Scripture says Jesus Christ is the same. Somebody shout same. Same yesterday which means all the way before even Genesis 1. He is the same yesterday. He is the same today. So that says whatever he did in the life of Moses, he wants to do in us. And he will be who he is in the days to come. Long before Christmas ever happened, Jesus was at work. Doing what Jesus does and what is shouted to us in the story of Moses that we have to hear, we've got to grab hold of. Jesus never quits on anyone. Our failures, our mistakes, our screw-ups, our weaknesses, they are not greater than Jesus. You need to read this week this entire encounter of God and Moses. Like in verses 7 through 10, after God shows up to Moses, he then looks at Moses and says, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, and you're going to set the people of Israel free. And Moses does what we all do. He thought about himself. He looked at his lack. He looked at his failures. He looked at his screw-up. He looked at his mistakes. And he then asked the question, who am I? Isn't that what we all do? Isn't what we do when God calls us to something, we're called to step into something, to live the life God calls us to live, we look at ourselves. We look at what we don't have, what we lack in life. Interestingly, is the response of God to Moses. God does not say, oh, Moses, 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 you don't give yourself enough credit. You're better than you think you are. You got more in you than you think you are. You just need better self-esteem in life and right. No. In essence, what God says to Moses is this. Wrong question. And if you ask the wrong question, you'll get the wrong answer every time. Verse 12. God said, when Moses said, who am I? God said, I will be with you. Then Moses said to God, 
So let's say I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of our fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? In my mind, Jesus smiles right here. And he goes, Moses, Moses, now, now you're finally getting it. The question is not about you and who you think you are, who you think you're not. The question is about me, who I am. And God said to Moses in verse 14, I am who I am. Notice in your Bibles, that whole phrase is in all caps. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am. All caps again in your Bible, right? Has sent me to you. This is incredible. In the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, God is referred to by several names. It's trying to get us to describe the indescribable, to understand him. Names like Elohim and Adonai. But what we have here, when you see it in all caps, outside of this passage, it's going to be the word the Lord. It's all through the Old Testament. It is the foundational name of God. Anytime you see the word Lord in the Old Testament, in all caps, it is what the Jewish people call Bashem, the name. It is by far the most common name of God in the Old Testament. In the Hebrew language, it is four consonants. It is Yod, He, Vav, He. We would say Y-H-V-H. Now, you've got to understand that the Hebrew language is a combination of a written and an oral language. The consonants are written down, but the oral, I mean, the, the vowels are actually oral. They're never written down. The problem is that the Jewish people quit saying the name. After the captivity and they were brought back under Nehemiah and Ezra out of the place of captivity, they wanted to make sure that they didn't violate the law of God. The, the third commandment of the Big Ten says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. If you look that up in Exodus 20, the word Lord is gonna be what? In all caps. You're not supposed to take this name in vain in life. So they quit saying the name to make sure that they didn't misuse the name. So we're not sure how to say it. There's two possibilities. Possibility number one is Yahweh. Some of you are saying, oh, back the truck up there, big boy. There's this group of people outside of town called the house of, yeah, you're saying they got the name of God right. Yes, they got the name of God right. A lot of other things, very, very wrong. Don't play in that world either. Hear me, right? But they got that right. It can also be Jehovah. Many of us actually say Jehovah because the old English took the Y sound of the Hebrew language and changed it to a J. What I need you to hear is not that it's important we know how to say the name. You can pick it Yahweh, which is what I think it is. You can say Jehovah, you can say Jehovah, I could care less. It's not so important that we know how to say the name, but that we deep within us get what it shouts to you and I. He is saying, I am the I am. And it's not that God is merely speaking of his existence. He's not being philosophical and trying to say something without really saying anything. He is saying, if you have any questions, I am is the answer. 
If you have any problems, I am is a solution. If you have any weaknesses, I am is our strength. If you have any longings and desires, I am is the fulfillment. And just in case you don't think this is Jesus, push forward from the time of Moses to the time of Jesus about 2,000 years, and you hear Jesus reiterating those words. If you have a hunger that nothing in this world seems to be able to satisfy, Jesus says, I am. Somebody say, I am. I am the bread of life. If you have a feeling that the world is so dark and so overwhelming and all you have is a consumption of fear and anxiety in your heart, I am the light of the world. If your failures and screw-ups seem to block the path to anything of significance happening with your life, I am the door. If you feel overwhelmed because you think everything is up to you, I am the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. And some of you are asking, hey, in Psalm 23, when it says, the Lord is my shepherd, does it say? It does. It's all caps. Yahweh is my shepherd. I shall not make him want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And if you think he won't do it, Jesus is a good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. If you feel hopeless, I am the resurrection and the life. If you feel lost, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you feel alone, I am the vine, and you are the branches connected to me. Listen to me, listen well. Jesus is greater than our mistakes. He's greater than our screw-ups. He's greater than our failures. He's greater than our weaknesses because he is Yahweh. He is the I am. His name is the solution to every problem. His name is the answer to every question. His name calms every fear, seals every prayer. It wins every battle. At his name, Angels are bowing. Demons are trembling. It is by his name that our sins are vindicated. It is by his name that we have an authority in our lives. Listen to me. Quit making it about you. If you look at life, some of you got the spirit of history makers on you and you just tried to do something right there. It's like white people clap. Okay. <laughs> it's time when we look at the life God has called us to live, it's time we quit looking at the mirror in that person and saying, who am I? Wrong question. The right question is this. As you look at that person in the mirror, is Jesus greater than your screw-ups? Is Jesus greater than your weaknesses? Is Jesus greater than your failures? Is Jesus greater than your mistakes? Is Jesus greater than your lack? And Jesus is shouting to you and I. When we ask that question, are you really greater? He is shouting to you and I, I am. I am greater. He is greater than every facet of our mistakes. It is not ultimately about who you are or who I am. That is utterly irrelevant. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying that makes you unimportant. I can't say that because Jesus says you are such a great value of such great worth that he'd die for you. There is nothing more valuable on planet earth than you because no price has ever been paid as great as what Jesus paid for you. 
But when it comes about living the life that he calls us to live, it's not about me and what I am. It is about him and who he is, and he is Yahweh. And he never quits on anyone because he knows exactly every mistake you've ever made, every failure you've ever made, however great screw-up you think you've had in life. He knows every one of us, and he is utterly self-aware, and he knows he is greater than any of those things in your life. He is the God of second chances. He is the God of third chances. Some of you are saying, keep going, big boy. He's the God of tenth chances and hundredth chances and thousands chances. Jesus never quits on anyone. Please look at me. He has not quit on you. He has not stopped believing in you. He knows this. He knows that he appointed the times, dates, and places for you to live. You were born on the planet Earth at this time by the design of God. And he has a purpose for you to live this life. It says in the book of Acts of David of old that David fulfilled his purpose and then went to be with his fathers. That is the design of God for every life. David had a lot of mistakes and failures, did he not? God wants to do the same with you and I. All we have to do is do what Moses did. Moses finally quit, made, quit making the question about himself, made it about God. Look at verse five. You go back there. Moses took off his shoes. Why? It's not because God had just mopped. Hear me. To take off one's, your joke, that'll come to you in about an hour. Um, to take off one's shoe in that culture was more than just a sign of respect. It was actually a sign of submission. It was a statement of worship, signifying that you know you are in the presence of one greater than yourself. Back when I was a younger person, a long time ago, there was a bumper sticker that was popular. People would put on their cars, God is my co-pilot. I first saw that and I thought, ah, oh, that's cool. And then I saw another bumper sticker that actually corrected my theology because that bumper sticker said, if God is your co-pilot, you need to switch seats. To figuratively take off our shoes. Do me a favor right now. Close your eyes. And just picture yourself taking off your shoes before the presence of God. I'm not going to make you do it. I think sometime this week you ought to do it. I mean, I know you're going to take off your shoes, but do it on purpose before God. And say before, like Moses did, here am I. You see it? To figuratively take off our shoes, you can look up, is the desire to live under the leadership, to live under the control of Jesus. It is to submit ourselves to the I am. And when we do that, and we'll probably have to do it tomorrow and we'll have to do it the next day, but he doesn't mind. He doesn't uh, ever quit on any of us. And so we keep doing it again and again. When we take our shoes off in front of him, what he does is he takes our failures and he turns them into our future. So when we think of Moses, what do we think of? He was used of God to lead the Jewish people out of Egyptian slavery into a place of freedom. The thing of his failure at age 40 was his future at age 80 simply because he took off his shoes. We take off our shoes, God turns our weaknesses into his glory. Moses' testimony 
is that Jesus never quits on anyone. But it's not just Moses' testimony. It's the testimony of millions over the course of the century. It is the testimony of thousands among us right now. It's a thing that Jesus is still doing today because Jesus is the same. Somebody say same. What he did in Moses is for you. He's doing it in lives today, in lives like Noel. I want you to take a look. Senior in high school, my dad said to apply for college, um, get a job, but you're not staying here. And so on a weekend when my mom was uh, away and my dad was hunting, I joined the military. That was in 1996. In 2005 is when I was called to go overseas, uh, deployed to Iraq all of 2005. In Iraq, it was a pretty touch and go. We are supposed to be in a green zone, but nothing's ever a green zone in Iraq. And so um, in late March of 2005, uh, I was sent to another camp to retrieve a Humvee. Uh, this place got mortared, um, you know, three to five times a day. Um, we went back a few times, a couple of uh, rocket propelled grenades, uh, you know, came over, run into bunkers constantly. It wasn't required that you had to have any gear on, and so I didn't have any gear on, and a mortar landed feet from me, uh, and I was within the kill radius, and so I watched it land, and it, it didn't detonate. In an instant, amongst other things that I saw there changed uh, my life and my perspective on what life was in an instant. We all came back, except for, for one of us, and, and having that, I would say, a, a procession is something that nobody wants to see. When I got home, from Iraq, it was a constant struggle on reintegration uh, to home life, uh, to civilian life, and, and that uh, continued to be a struggle until just, just recently. Uh, every time I would have a flashback of that moment, it was always a color of red, brown, and, and uh, orange. Uh, kind of like chaos, destruction, things that, that you really don't want to see. Coming home and flashing back, that's, that's exactly what I would see every time that, that this would take place. So fast forward to uh, boot camp, uh, during boot camp, kind of felt led that the Lord was kind of tugging on my heart to go get prayer. I went back to the prayer tent and sat around for a little bit and uh, Coach Quinn actually pulled me out. I asked me why I was there, if I was there to get prayer and I said yes. Uh, he asked me some direction on which, which to, to pray, and I told him everything. You know, really, uh, I was a flatline human being. Um, I was, a, if you will, a, a dead man walking. He took me back to the place where I thought that the Lord had left me. Um, I felt like I was alone, and for the last 16 years, alone in that area, the compartmentalized box that, that I had in my mind. And he took me back, set me there, and showed me, told me that, that the Lord was there the whole time. 
He was there watching me. He was there protecting me. And uh, when Coach took me there and was praying for me, those colors of orange and uh, red and brown and, and chaos and destruction uh, completely went away. Uh, the colors went from those colors to a, a brilliant, bright white, uh, as if the chaos and destruction wasn't there anymore. Uh, immediately, uh, I felt like I had a, a second chance on, on being the person that, that God really meant me to be, uh, that he raised a child that, that is growing uh, and now has the full potential to to grow in what he wants him to be. I sought a, a wisdom from another man there that, that had gone through some of the same things I had, uh, Chris Carroll, and he, he helped me uh, discern, you know, some of my identity wasn't, and my identity wasn't what I was claiming it to be. Um, you know, my identity was, was that mortar, was that day. And in reality, uh, in, that's not what God made me for. My purpose is something bigger. Uh, my, my purpose is, is in Him. My identity is not in uh, the PTSD that I suffered from. My identity is not in the mortar that, that landed feet for me. Uh, it's, it's in Christ Jesus. God has granted me a second chance in, in being that man that He wants me to be. As just a quick statement, I want to say to <clears throat> all the veterans or active duty and those who have had past duty in our military on this weekend, I think it's quite appropriate for us to say thank you. You guys are incredible. You ladies are incredible. Man. To be um, really raw and vulnerable, I think one of the mistakes of our culture is we try to honor our veterans, yet we disparage their cause. I mean, you can't disparage their cause. I know there's a lot of debate about why we've engaged as a nation in certain places, but here's what I can tell you. Uh, I know people in Iran and Iraq, and they were appreciative of what we were trying to bring in those places. There's actually... Believe me or don't believe me, there's actually one of the greatest moves of God happening in our, in our world right now is in Iran and Iraq. Percentage-wise, the greatest growth of Christianity right now is in Iran and Iraq. Underground church, things are happening, and I think the seeds of that were sown. And so you men and women, some of you who specifically served there, thank you. Thank you for, for standing for freedom. Again, I know everything about the decisions of our national leaders have not been perfect by any means. There's been mistakes but you've been a part of doing something great in our world. And on behalf of believers around the world, I wanna say thank you. No, yeah, another round. Isn't it incredible that Jesus never quits on us? Noel had believed a lie. He had believed the lie that Jesus had abandoned him at a certain point and it has taken a toll on his life, Jesus met him. There was a second chance. His burning bush looked different, I think, today is some people's burning bush. And you're being convinced in your spirit, not because my words are so great, but because Jesus is wanting to get this to you.
So before we go, I want you to bow your heads. North Campus, online family, South Campus. I just want everybody to ask the Lord to speak to you. We're not going to linger here but for a second. But I believe, I'm really confident, there are people who right now would say, I've never given my life over to Jesus because I feel like the way I've lived my life was so screwed up and so messed up, Jesus would never have anything to do with me. And I declare to you that is a lie from the pit of hell. And I renounce it in Jesus' name. And by the authority of Jesus, Jesus has never quit. He wants you. He longs for you. He died for you. But you've got to do what Moses did. Figuratively speaking, you've got to take off your shoes. You've got to submit yourself to him. All you have to do is say yes. And in a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to do that. Or maybe your people are common in Abilene that you made a decision to follow Jesus, got baptized, was running after Jesus, and you got sidetracked. If I made you put your, own, your shoes back on and started doing life your own way. We called it a prodigal. And you're here and you're thinking, man, I knew better than to stray away from Jesus. Surely he wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. Again, that's a lie from the pit of hell. He is longing for you right now. He's just saying, come home. If you are a prodigal that needs to come home to Jesus, you are a person who's never given your life to Jesus. What I'm going to do right now is I'm going to count to three. And you want to say, yes, Jesus, I give my life to you. Yes, Jesus, I am coming home to you. I want you without hesitation to raise your hand up and say, Jesus, here am I. Just like Moses says, here am I. I give my life over to you. And he's going to do a work in you that's incredible in the days to come as you live a life of next steps with him. You ready? One, two, three. Put your hands up right now. Yeah, all over. I knew it. I knew it. Praise be to God. Awesome. He longed for you. I know Jesus is smiling right now. Bless you and bless you in that. You can put your hands down. Church, give these people a round of applause. Just praise. Come on. Thank you, Lord. So what I want to do, bow your heads one more time. I just want to speak the name of the Father over you. Some of us are in situations beyond us like they seem impossible. If you're in an impossible situation, just raise your hand up right now. If you're in that right now, speak the name Yahweh. I am. So with Jesus, nothing is impossible, right? Because of what? He is the I am. Who here has issues in their body and you need healing? Put your hands up right now. I speak the name Yahweh Rapha. I am your healer. Who needs a breakthrough in some financial areas of your life? It could be in terms of self-control. It could be in terms of we just need God to do a breakthrough because of some bills that have come in, whatever. You just need a breakthrough in your finances. Put your hands up right now. Nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Speak Yahweh Yira. I am your provider. I've sensed there are people who need guidance in life. You're just like, man, I, I want to take next steps. I'm just not sure what those next steps are. You need guidance right now. Put your hands up. I speak Yahweh Rohi. I am your shepherd. The Lord is your shepherd. You need comfort in life. You need to know the presence of Jesus close to you in this difficult season. Put your hand up right now. Grab hold of this name, Yahweh Shema. I am there. I am present. Father, I speak your name over these men and women, Yahweh. We receive it. We repent of asking the wrong question. We make the question about us all too often, who am I? 
And we say, oh God, that is irrelevant. What we need is a revelation of who you are. So impart the revelation of your name, Yahweh, to us this day. And all that it implies, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.